Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Rudy Kurniawan may not be a household name, unless perhaps you are an enophile. Mr. Kurniawan is in fact the mastermind behind one of the greatest wine cons of all time. In the late 90s, Rudy Kurniawan traveled to California from Jakarta, Indonesia, a young student intent on a career in accounting. His life took a turn when in 1999, he discovered his taste for oat wines. After ordering the most expensive wine on the menu, Opus One, a $300 Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. From the first taste, he was hooked, opening his awareness into the rarefied world of exceptional wines. This pivotal moment in a young man's life led to a rapid climb in first the local wine community and then among the California industry elite. He was a quick study and beyond this, his palate was exceptional. Some reports even claim that Rudy was a super taster. It wasn't long before Rudy Kurniawan started buying and selling rare wines and was an aggressive bidder at wine auctions, sometimes just leaving his paddle aloft until he won. Soon, Rudy had amassed a dazzling wine collection, which he referred to as his magic cellar. By 2006, Mr. Kurniawan is said to have been spending as much as $1 million a month in wine. Though this relative unknown did not have much of a history to support his meteoric rise in the wine world, his exceptional palate and generosity convinced most of his reliability. He even won the trust of the New York exclusive group of wine lovers, 12 Angry Men. But there were questions. Though Mr. Kurniawan was a flashy dresser, there were those who were curious. How could he afford this lavish spending? And adding to the mystery, people could not understand why Mr. Kurniawan insisted on having the empty bottles couriered to him after the wine had been consumed. Apparently, he became furious if these bottles were broken or not delivered. The questions became more insistent after he presided over an exceptionally vast auction he called The Cellar in 2006. This selection of his own wines was sold through the auction house Acker, Merrill, and Connett, first for $10.6 million U.S. million, and then for an additional $24.7 million in a second auction. $35 million richer, he went on a spending spree buying cars, clothes, and splurging on a renovation on his Bel Air mansion. Now experts in the field began to compare notes. How did Kurniawan amass such great volumes of rare wines? At a private tasting event in the home of a leading Burgundy collector, a fake was uncovered. Then soon after, in 2007, at a Christie's auction, several of the magnums of his 1982 Chateau Lepin were pulled after being identified as forgeries by the winery itself. Then the eight magnums of 1947 Chateau La Fleur, which he had sold the year before with Acker, Merrill, and Connett, were flagged as fake. Apparently, only five magnums of 1947 La Fleur were ever produced. In 2008, Mr. Kurniawan decided to sell 22 lots of Clos-Saint-Denis from Domaine Ponson in another Acker, Merrill, and Connet auction, the bottles ranging in vintage from 1945 to 1971. These were spotted as fakes and removed from the auction by Laurent Ponson, owner of Domaine Ponson. According to Ponson, wine from this vineyard was produced in 1982, not before. 
And now the wine community was truly suspicious, among them some serious collectors. Billionaire and wine collector Bill Koch wisely decided to have his collection authenticated and discovered that wine he had purchased from Mr. Kearney Wan were forgeries, and he promptly initiated a lawsuit against him. The walls were now crumbling around him. Then in 2012, $785,000 worth of wines consigned to auction by an L.A. restaurant owner named Antonio Castanos were removed when it was discovered that Castanos was acting as a cover for Kearney Wan. On March 8, 2012, FBI agents raided Kearney Wan's home in Arcadia, California. FBI agents discovered extensive evidence of wine fraud. His home was filled with wine crates, wine bottles that were in the process of being forged, corks, and more than 19,000 fake labels for rare wines. There were also the how-tos for the wine forger, instructions on how to create fake wine labels, and how to make inexpensive wines taste like rare wines. It is thought that Kerniawan opened rare bottles of wine, poured it out, then refilled the bottle with other inexpensive wines, which he had formulated to taste authentic. He then added an artificially aged label, replaced the cork and the wax. It was no easy feat to dupe the sophisticated palates he encountered, but dupe them he did. Rudy Kerniawan pleaded not guilty to the charges brought against him on December 18th, 2013, but he was found guilty by a jury of multiple counts of wine fraud and as well as fraudulently obtaining a $3 million loan. In August of 2014, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison and restitution to his victims of over $28 million. It is believed that his forgeries equaled somewhere between 35 to $150 million in total, with possibly even 10,000 bottles still in circulation. Rudy was ultimately deported back to Indonesia after serving nine years in jail. Wow. What a story. I find it amazing that he was able to pull that off at such a young age. I know. Apparently, he was bankrolled by his wealthy family, which enabled him to finance his business. Hmm. He was smart, though. He was selling wines that were so rare that even experts in the field didn't even know how the wine was supposed to taste. If no one knows how the wine is supposed to taste... How do you know when you aren't experiencing the real thing? Exactly. (laughs) And his palate was also a big plus. I think it probably gave him some credibility. Oh, it was definitely part of the impressive persona for sure. Wine enthusiasts reported that if he was given 12 bottles, he could identify 10 perfectly and come pretty close on the remaining two. Not only that, though... He also did it blindly. He's been called a genius. Well, if only that talent could have been used for something good. Funnily enough, after his return to Indonesia, offers to employ him as a wine consultant did materialize. Really? I'm not sure that made the people he duped too happy. Probably not. Some view him as a kind of Robin Hood, though. You know, successfully tricking the uber wealthy and all that. But didn't the proceeds just line his own pockets? I don't really follow that thinking. People were played, and it really didn't reflect well on the wine industry as a whole either, did it? It doesn't feel good in the heart or pocketbook to be deceived and defrauded. It does not. And yet, strangely, we love a story about a good con. We sure do. Maria Konnikova, Harvard psychologist and author of the book The Confidence Game, explains that con artists are clever, and we admire clever, don't we? Ms. Konnikova also says that these types of crimes don't seem to bother us as much because they aren't violent. But this attitude can lead us to overlook the real pain and suffering of the victims of fraudsters and con artists. In fact, some even will judge the victims for being gullible. Blame the victim. Yeah, it seems so. Deception is a pretty interesting thing and definitely a big part of the human experience. 
But deception is not just straight up lying, Walker. Psychology Today says that deception refers to the act, big or small, cruel or kind, of encouraging people to believe information that is not true. Lying is a common form of deception, stating something known to be untrue with the intent to deceive. So lying is simply telling an untruth, but deception is much more elaborate. Yeah. There was a study actually performed at the University of Guelph that discovered that 100% of the people who participated in the study stated that they would lie, exaggerate, or stretch the truth in a job interview. Isn't that nuts? Oh, I'm not super surprised at all by those findings. 100% is higher than I expected, though. But employers should take note. Mm -hmm. Take what you hear with a grain of salt and make sure those references are checked, right? Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, I can attest that I have never lied on a job interview walker. (laughs) Me either. People tell outright lies and they also can lie by omission too, like purposely leaving out important details that somewhat obscure the truth. You've got that right. But many tend to justify the white lies, the little ones, as well as the lying by omission as if they don't matter so much. Like when I tell my husband that my haircut only cost 68 bucks, but I don't tell them about the $150 I spent on products. Well, you spilled the beans now, Harris. I know. Psychology Today even states that we also lie by employing strategic silence. Ooh, strategic silence. Mm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Strategic silence refers to when ideas or information are withheld by someone until they feel the timing is right. Mm. Wharton Management Professor Michael Park noted, though, that those who withhold information, ideas, or or concerns on purpose until the timing is right are considered some of the highest performing employees and are often rewarded for doing so by those higher up as they are seen as having a more valuable voice. Oh, so telling the truth does not always get you further in life, does it, Walker? Is that what you're telling me? If this wasn't a podcast, I would be employing some strategic silence right now. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, other forms of lying include denying the truth or exaggerating. Exaggerating, though, is pretty common, particularly when we're recounting a story. It's good for effect. Exactly. I've been known to say things like, there had to have been a bazillion people there. Or can you believe it? I swear I told them 8 million times not to do that. Now, did I really tell them 8 million times? Mm, Probably not. But that's an obvious exaggeration, which really isn't harming anybody. It isn't deceitful. Some people exaggerate, but excuse the truth, which of course can potentially have a harmful impact on someone else. Like when you say to someone, oh, I love that outfit. It's fabulous. But really, they look like they've just escaped the circus. So that hurts them and everybody around them, right? Maybe not the best example, Harris, but I will give it to you. (laughs) Did you know that the average person supposedly lies every day? Maybe even multiple times a day? I did know that. You did? No, I'm lying. You're hopeless, Harris. (laughs) People lie for all kinds of reasons. Many typically lie to get ahead somehow, but apparently only 9% of lies are for this purpose. We also lie for other reasons, like to stay out of trouble, like you and your haircut. Mm -hmm. But also a good number of people tell lies in an attempt to protect someone's feelings, protect a relationship they have, or simply to avoid feelings of not feeling so comfy. Yeah. You know, like when your friend asked you what you did last night and you had been to a party they weren't invited to, instead Mm. of saying, I danced all night and had the best time, you tell them you stayed at home in your PJs and ate popcorn. Yeah, you're protecting their feelings. Is that a lie by omission or is that just straight out lie? I know, maybe both. Yeah, maybe. And we've all said this lie when your partner asks, are you okay? Despite the fact that you're seething with irritation, you reply, 
I'm fine. Oh, I've used that one more than once. (laughs) Some report lying to their significant others by saying, I love you, when they aren't really feeling it or conversely claiming that they aren't interested in someone else when you actually are. Yeah, well, that latter one is a little bit self-protective, right? Like maybe you're not ready to admit that you like somebody yet. I agree. You might not know it from the examples, but people are more likely to lie to strangers than to family members or friends. Well, that makes sense. It should be harder to lie to people you trust yourself. But aren't we instinctively more suspicious of people we don't know? Stranger danger and all that. But of course, we do get taken in all the time by people we've just met. Think of all the fraud that takes place by phone or email these days. Well, in the words of Sam Johnson, British author and linguist, we are inclined to believe those whom we do not know because they have never deceived us. Wow, that's something to think about. We have no reason yet not to believe them. Right. So we do tend to be a little trusting, don't we, Walker? And perhaps our defenses are lowest when it comes to matters of the heart. Take, for example, the famous Tinder swindler. I've never seen this show. Have you not? (laughs) No. It is fascinating. Essentially, it's a British true crime documentary based on the real life story of a man born as Shimon Yehuda Hayut, who went by the name Simon Lviv. This guy met women on Tinder claiming to be the son of a diamond oligarch. His social media offered images of his high rolling lifestyle, which was of course quite seductive to these women. He quartered them, he wined and dined them, and he forged serious connections with them. But he was often absent, apparently traveling for his family's diamond business. But it wasn't long before Simon was asking them for money. In one case, with one woman, he claimed to be in danger, and he was told that it was not recommended that he return to London to see her. Soon after, he sent her a video of his bleeding bodyguard. He claimed to need money from her as he could not use his credit card anymore for security reasons. Wow, elaborate. Very elaborate. He even asked one woman to travel to Amsterdam with $25,000 worth of cash because it's untraceable, and she actually took out a loan. And she was not suspicious? Well, it seems obvious, doesn't it, from an outsider's perspective? But remember, these requests aren't coming out of the blue. They had an intimate relationship. She was in love. So though she was perhaps a little suspicious, she believed him and was worried about him. That can't end well. No, and it was really terrible, in fact. In the end, it cost this particular victim $250,000. It was devastating to her, the debt and the loss of the relationship. And understandably, she was even scared for her own safety. It caused her so much stress that she had to admit herself for mental health treatment. This is awful. And what about the swindler himself? Well, this guy was a pro. He had had several names and a history of conning people since he was a teen. And apparently he did do some jail time for defrauding some Finnish women in a similar way. Ultimately, two of the women who were victimized joined forces to approach the media with the hope that their stories would get out to the public. With the help of a third woman, he was finally arrested by Interpol for using a fake passport. So was he ever found guilty of swindling these women? Well, for the crimes he committed in Israel, he received a 15-month sentence, but he was released after five months and has been living as a free man. He was never charged with defrauding the women presented in the Tinder Swindler production, But it's thought that he may have swindled people out of $10 million. That's a lot of money. After he was released from jail, he apparently created a website offering business advice services for payment. Yikes, I'll stay away from that. How disheartening for those women. Simon claims that the Tinder swindler is inaccurate. In an interview for Inside Edition, he said, I'm not a Tinder swindler. I was just a single guy that wanted to meet some girls on Tinder. 
I'm not this monster. People don't know me, so they cannot judge me. I'm the biggest gentleman in the world. Wow. Mm -hmm. And maybe he believes it too. Interestingly, in 2022, the Lviv family, the real Lviv family, remember he took on that name, filed criminal complaints against Tayut for the following, libelous publications, infringing privacy, violating trademark orders, and damaging the family's name. Okay, I have to watch this show now. It's so complex and so terrible. Being a victim of a con is not only emotionally devastating, but it's also financially ruining as well. It sure is. And our next guest has had real-life run-ins with these criminals. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dee Gibson, a woman who has first-hand experience with the ugly and deceptive practice of catfishing. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Dee. Hi, thank you for having me. Maybe we should begin at the very beginning. How would you define the practice of catfishing? Catfishing to me is someone who is taking someone else's image, photo, persona, and using it to gain in some way, whether it's financial or emotional, and basically like a fake human out there online. Right. Posing as as someone, someone else. else. Yes. So they take a profile, you know, and it could be someone who's a celebrity, just someone good looking or someone who just they're feeling because I've had several experiences feeling like they want to gain something from it. And sometimes it's it's not just money, but it's it's deceptive. It's a deceptive practice. So you mentioned you had experience with this deceptive practice. Are you comfortable sharing with us your experience? I think it was probably back in 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. I received a DM on Instagram. Um, I wasn't online dating. I wasn't even barely even on Instagram. And it was someone who said, hi, I think we have a friend in common and just was, you know, introducing himself. And I thought, okay, this seems weird. But he kept pursuing a conversation with me, you know, decent looking guy. And I thought, okay, I'll just see maybe it's a friend of a friend from somewhere else in the world. And it started out pretty innocent. And I just thought, okay, maybe this person needs, you know, a friend because I'm very friendly. And, and then it kind of started very quickly. If he wanted to go offline because he said he was in the military, red flag to me. But I thought, okay, hmm, I always like a challenge. What is this all about? That was in the back of my mind from the very beginning. And I said, well, I don't know how where, how do you want to speak? And he's like, well, do you do WhatsApp? Well, I hadn't even done WhatsApp. I'm like, okay, sure. Let's, you know, being naive, but also being careful and cautious. I said, sure, let's go to WhatsApp. So the conversation's really quickly got way too familiar. Like, oh, you know, you're so beautiful. You're so lovely. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, I'm not on online dating site. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. on, you know, Instagram and now on WhatsApp. And it went into within several weeks of maybe a conversation or two a day, more him messaging me, me just responding to, you know, how I'm so fantastic. And he'd like to have a relationship. And he's in the military, in the U.S. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) But I still, you know, I'm always, like, I don't want to be that judgy or, you know. Right. Because you never know. This could be a real person who is interested in you. Exactly. And just needs, and needs a friend even, right? So benefit of the doubt, I continued on. And then the conversation started getting more in depth about his life and he's in Afghanistan. He's on his fourth tour. And I'm like, I would start Googling things to find out, is this for real or whatever? And then we're going to say now we're a month in and he tells me a story that 
he's without money, red flag again, mm-hmm. and would like to know if I could send him a hundred dollars because he doesn't have money for food. And I said, well, that's bizarre because the U S military provides you meals. You're on a tour. And he's like, Oh, well, I just left for, you know, he made up some story. He was somewhere else. And I said, no, I can't do that. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't even know you. And then uh, that made me kind of think, okay, this feels weird. And then he, he was mad that I wasn't going to do that. And he was going to stop talking to me. And I said, that's okay. If that's the way you're going to be, then there's our friendship isn't what I'm thinking it is. But then he popped back and was saying, oh, sorry, you know, making up excuses and going more heavily into wanting a relationship with me. And I said, I don't know you. I've never, you know, we've never even FaceTime. Let's FaceTime. Oh, I can't. We're not allowed to do that. Well, let's have a phone call. Oh, my phone. I am only on my computer texting. All these stories and stories. So now I'm like, okay, something's up. Yeah. I told a girlfriend of mine about it. She's like, oh yeah, this sounds so fake. And I went, so what do I do? And she's like, well, you know, there's ways to reverse image. And I went, oh, right. Okay. Let me take his photos. And I had about five photos. So I went into Google reverse image search and I thought, I don't know how to do that. And then I found something called TinEye. And TinEye, you can, you know, literally screenshot the photo and put it in and pop up and see what you see. Well, (laughs) I literally saw hundreds of photos of this guy and it was all different last names. Oh my gosh. When I find one that has his military uniform on, and I'm like a research investigator persona, like I like to dig and find out. So I zoom, I screenshotted it, I zoomed out and I see the name and it was very similar to the name the person gave me, but off by two letters. And I thought, oh, that's strange. Because I saw these images, I thought, okay, now that I've got the person's name, I'm going to go on Instagram and put in the last name and see what I see. Right. Well, there was about 450 fake profiles of this name. You have got to be kidding. I am 450 profiles. At least. I like literally was trying to screenshot them all to go, what is this? How could someone have all these fake profiles? Now, at first I'm thinking, is it him? And he's trying to lure in women. What is it? Like, I, yeah. I it was baffling to me. Then I decided, I'm not on Facebook, but I decided, well, I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to, the name that was on his, uniform. I'm going to search that. Yeah. Well, I searched it and I found what looked like would probably be his real profile because there was actually lots of photos. He was engaging with it a lot. It didn't seem because a lot of those fake profiles, they don't have a lot of followers. Right. They follow a lot. Mm -hmm. I realized that. And in his profile, there was a photo of him and his mother and his mother had her name. So then I searched her on Facebook. You are amazing. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know what made me do this, but I had to figure it all out. Yeah. So I, I found her and she lived in Fort Erie, Pennsylvania. And she's a real estate agent. And her phone number was on this in her like business card. She had screenshotted in her profile. Oh my so gosh. I'm like, Heck, I'm gonna call her. So I'm still engaging with this fake person because I don't want them to go away. I want to keep I want to yeah. know what's going on, right? I called her and I said, hi, um, you don't know me and I don't know your son, but I, I'm engaging with someone online that I think is using your son's photo and is your son in the military? She said, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm another mother who has a child. And if this was happening to my daughter, I would like to know. And I just thought I'd call her. She hung up. Wow. 
But obviously there's something there. She called me back 10 minutes later and she said, sorry, I hung up. It was just shocking to hear what you're saying. Please tell me who you are and everything. So I told her, I said, I live in Toronto, blah, 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 blah. I gave her my background and I said, and I'm not doing, this is not to harm you or anyone else. This is to get to the bottom of it because when I see what he has online, this is very disturbing. And she said, okay, I wanted to speak to you. My husband's an ex-police officer. And I went, okay. Okay. So she said, did you call the U.S. Army? And I said, no, but I have a number and I don't really know who to call. She said, let me call you back in an hour. I'm going to get information from my husband and see what he can give you. So they gave me the number to call the U.S. Army to report this. Okay. So I report it. And they're like, well, we can't really do anything. We're getting hundreds of calls a day with all these fake profiles. And I went, and there's nothing you're going to do about this? Like, these people are going after money. They're going after innocent victims. And they said, we're just overwhelmed. We dove a department. Now, this was like 2018, 2019. Long story short, her and I became kind of the investigators to try and figure this out. And then I, I said to her, I have a girlfriend who is... In investigative journalism, she's the biggest host in Canada. Can I give the story to them? Would you speak to her? And she said, okay, maybe. You speak to her and we'll, I'll get back to you. So I spoke to my friend who is on W5. Mm-hmm. And we had lunch and I told her the story and she said, oh, I want to do the story on this. So from that point on, she said, keep engaging with this guy because we need to find out his IP address. We want to find everything out, right? So we started this group investigation and then Avery took it over with her producers and I stepped aside because I said, the story can't have anything to do with me. I don't want my face on it. This guy's engaged with me too much. I don't know who it is. Yeah, he could be, you know, a criminal. You have no idea who he is. So we got to the point where she was going to go and interview the mother, but the son stopped it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it because it might have an issue with his military career because he was in high level security. So Avery decided, okay, we'll just leave Dee and the mother out, but I'm going to keep going with it. And she did a whole, she's actually done, I think five episodes on it. And the one figured out what it was all about. I've seen these documentary episodes that it's Avery Haynes uh, yeah, of yeah. CTV, right? With W5 that she produced thanks to you leading her to this story, which at that time wasn't really public knowledge. I mean, no, catfishing wasn't really, we didn't know. We I don't even think we had a term for it then. We didn't really know that this was so pervasive in our society, at least in Canada, until Avery put these episodes on air. So it really was a public service that you did in your very modern Nancy Drew way. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just felt like, my gosh, if I got suckered in and I'm, you know, an educated, smart woman who's not desperate in any sense of the way, what would they do to someone who doesn't have the kind of street smarts and knowledge that I do. So from that, I also started looking online and found all these Facebook groups on romance scammers. But I didn't know where the group was, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Because sometimes mm -hmm. they're actually just guys in their basement and, you know, their mother's basement, but this wasn't. 
No. Was at any point this uncovered where this particular scammer was based? We believe it's all part of the same scam. Nigerian scammers called Black Axe. Right. They're part of a Nigerian mafia and they have cells in Toronto. And that scared me. And I thought, oh my gosh, thank God I never actually showed myself, right? Because it's easy to find people if you want to find people, right? And and they're a very serious criminal organization. Very serious criminal organization, which I I don't know if people really understand that it's not three or four people in their basement trying to to defraud people. It's actually quite an organized Yes, and they're stealing millions of dollars a year from people because of, you know, in the UK, it's really rampant as well. I mean, it's all over. It's globally. Right. So and somehow they target. I don't even know how they targeted me because I'm really not online. Like I don't even have I don't even know if I had a photo of myself. I would be the, the profile of who you'd want because of my age. My husband passed away. So I'm a widow. I, you know, live in a city and could be exactly the type of person they would want. But they also, when they engage with people, they do a form of brainwashing. And I can see why women would buy into it, because if you've been alone and you're not online and someone starts telling you all these things and and is, you know, at you all the time in terms of emails and telling you wonderful things about yourself and engaging with you, people could fall for it. It's a positive thing in your yeah. life, right? It's it's the love bombing that you hear about, right? Yes. Where you're just sort of inundated constantly with their affection and, and positive commentary about you, which we all want to hear. Yeah. And when you're vulnerable, you're, yes. you're susceptible. Dee, tell me, how did that experience impact your life? I'm sure there's far-reaching and and diverse impacts it may have had. You know, I do online date and I am cautious as heck. And I find fake profiles all the time. So when I start looking, I know what to look for immediately. And I know how they speak to me. And I know what the photos shouldn't be like. And I know if they're, you know, what's in their profile, because I've figured it out. Mm -hmm. So it makes me really guarded to engage with people. But also, it gives me the skill set to not ever get into that again, because I've had several try to do that with me. It's, it's frightening, it's alarming, and it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, well, especially like the dating app should have a way if I can find out by reverse imaging, they should have some AI in their app that could just immediately look at a photo and weed them out so that they're not part of that community. We have to have these protections. Yes, because I report them all the time on the dating apps. Yeah, good. It's really sad because most people don't even have the knowledge that this is happening. And so what you're doing and talking about it is fantastic also because the awareness needs to be there. And not many people would have had the wherewithal to to even know that you could reverse image, to even, you know, recognize what those red flags were as the relationship was progressing because some people haven't had the benefit of experiencing a of serious course. relationship, right? Well, so they have no benchmarks to to compare it against. In some ways, I don't know. Do you feel you're, that you were lucky in a way because you did have experience and perspective to be able to recognize right away, 
I am seeing red flags here. Oh yeah. And I, and I never, I, I'd actually never spoken to anyone online, even on a dating app at that point. Like I was new to that, but what I am is very resourceful to figure things out. And if, if I have that intuitive gut feeling like this doesn't feel right, then I'm going to go with that. And that's what I did with it. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And I, you know, confided in a couple of friends who said, yeah, this does not seem right. So, and figured it out, but yeah, it's really, it's really a shame because when people are online, they're just online to try to have something good happen. And, you know, it's hard enough just trying to date and have the situation not be good with real humans. And now you've got this to deal with as well. Exactly. Exactly. We all just want to make a positive connection yeah. with someone else. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So Dee, it's not just ordinary people who are catfish. Celebs are as well. I'm just wondering if you could expound upon the whole idea of what makes us vulnerable to this crime. Well, I think I mean, most people just want to trust other humans, right? And we think good of people. So you don't automatically go to, oh, this person's going to do some harm to me. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. right. And especially if someone is seeming to be really nice and kind and good, but I don't know. I feel like it's just, there's a whole sector of society that is doing things and it's not necessarily the level of the black axe, but the average human's not thinking that it's going to go to something like this. And that's why awareness has to be on there. And, you know, especially on dating apps, they should have like a section on romance scams and catfishing. And If this happens, what do you do? And I don't really see that. I mean, I haven't dug too far, but it's certainly not up when you're putting a profile on. It's not sitting there. Right. I imagine if there was more information that was readily available on social media where you were communicating with other people, that that would be helpful. So you shouldn't have to research it. Yeah, you should you should automatically have that information so that you're aware. Well, I guess there is that real balancing act, right? Like trying to give people the benefit of the doubt, at least in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> While listening to, you know, what may be playing out in the back of your mind, uh, your instinct that maybe something's not right there. Yes. So yes. do you think that these criminals are even more savvy today than when you first encountered them a few years ago? I think they're they're way more savvy because they have more tools and they also have seen how they're being caught, right? So they are right. just like one step ahead. It's really interesting because sometimes when I engage in someone and they may not even be a fake profile this might just be a guy who's kind of a love bomber <laughs> and I'll say oh you know I've been catfished before and it's it's a red flag for me and I I reported them and and like literally they delete me <laughs> oh really I'm like okay you're on to them right because I I just I don't have the time for it it's yeah. really it's really awful so yeah but I think I, I think AI is going to be the issue but then the the social media sites and the dating sites really need to use that tool as well to weed them out. There are ways of, if I can figure it out myself and I'm just like, who the heck am I, right? Yeah, they need to step up their game then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you keep your finger on the pulse of this issue. What advice would you offer people who engage with others online? What should they be looking for? It's the way someone engages with you online. Because if you're thinking, Online is the same if you met in person, right? You would have a casual conversation. You wouldn't start saying, oh, my love, oh, babe, oh, you know, 
those love bombing terms are a red flag period. And then they message you all the time. That starts to feel like something is up because no one has that much time during the day to be in touch with you. I mean, we all have jobs, we have families, we have life, right? So usually when you're online, you kind of, you know, have a chat, maybe two days later, you decide to chat again, and then you want to have a phone call and then, or a FaceTime or an in-person meeting. Right. So I've had fake profiles that they say they're in Toronto and I'll say, Oh, where are you from in Toronto? I live in old Toronto. <laughs> old Toronto right? Oh, you're fake. Because you'd probably just be looking on a map, seeing an area that is like none of us would ever refer to Toronto as old Toronto. So this is a good point. You mentioned the speed and the intensity at which the communication is happening, but also asking questions. Absolutely. Yes. Ask them, like, where do they live? One of the things I do is I try to find if there's any people we might have in common. We don't need last names, but, you know, where did you go to school? You know, what do you like to do? Oh, I like to cycle. Are you part of this club? Are you doing? Find out more information than you can, because then you'll know if the answers are correct. There's kind of a commonality with the stories of the fake profiles mm-hmm. or they live far away. A lot of them live far away and they'll say, Oh, I'm on an oil rig. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a gemologist and I'm mining, right? <laughs> For diamonds. <laughs> so it's just like, if it's so far fetched, you're like, so not only do you have to ask the questions, but you have to listen to the answers as well yes. and be willing to listen to accept the answers for what they are. If yeah. there's something shady about it. Yeah, especially if it's going in an unnatural way right. that a conversation would be with anyone. They they go too fast, too quickly, and the answers are all just so weird. And then I, I imagine as well, once you ask those questions, if they start to get cranky with you and right. evasive, then that's a red flag. Yeah. And I would just say, like, a lot of times I just look at photos and I will reverse image them mm-hmm. right at the beginning because I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, yeah. What I find also is you'll find people that say they're an age and then you reverse image and they're like, oh, they're 20 years older. I would also say, too, that if someone asks you for money, oh, there we go. Right. Yeah. That's that's a big one <laughs> right away. Right. Or they start asking you. I had one ask me not for money, but how I was, how, how financially sound am I? Do I own a house? I'm like, what? Why would you <laughs> answer that question? First to someone you don't know, but I guess you feel like you know them after a month or two of chatting. So maybe you do feel more relaxed in answering questions like that. There was one that asked me that and I said, well, that's very personal. That's none of your business. Oh, well, if we're going to start a relationship like that, then I don't know why we would go on if you're not going to be comfortable sharing that stuff. It's like, oh. Yeah. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. There's pressure already. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with, with us today, Dee. You've opened our eyes to the darkness that lurks online for sure. Your story will definitely help educate and prevent this cybercrime from happening to others uh, without a doubt. If you'd like to learn more about catfishing, you can find an excellent documentary on the topic on W5, hosted by Avery Haynes at www.ctv.news. Thanks so much, Dee. My pleasure. It was wonderful. Dee really is offering a great deal of awareness that hopefully will prevent other women from becoming victims of catfishing. Certainly con artists and fraudsters are not always men, though, are they? 
No, certainly not. There are a lot of females in the business of deception, that's for sure. Take the 2022 Netflix docuseries Inventing Anna, for example. Anna Sorokin, or is it Anna Delvey? Yes and yes. Ah, right. <laughs> Anna Delvey is the woman who, between 2013 to 2017, moved within elite New York socialite circles. She was believed to be a German heiress with a $60 million trust fund. This is such a crazy but true story. Mm-hmm. Anna was, in fact, born in Moscow, and her given name was Anna Sorokin. She did move to Germany with her parents when she was in her teens before moving to Paris and then ultimately the U.S. in 2013. While she was in Paris, she changed her name to Anna Delvey, which was just a surname she liked. She worked in the fashion world in both Paris and New York City for the magazine Purple, and by all reports, was quite likable. With her cover of being an heiress, she was living the high life, but simultaneously swindling wealthy socialites and even some banks and hotels. She must have been really convincing. Wow, banks. That's impressive. I know. But it did catch up with her. According to CNN, by 2016, the ruse was starting to unravel. Between 2016 and 2017, she was busy acquiring bank loans, writing bad checks, and forcing friends to foot the bill, all the while living in a high-end hotel and traveling around on a private jet. But eventually, it all came undone. So what ultimately happened? Anna was arrested by the LAPD in a sting operation in October of 2017. And in April of 2019, she was found guilty of grand larceny in the second degree, attempted grand larceny, and theft of services. In May, she was sentenced to 4 to 12 years in prison. She was fined $24,000 in order to pay $199,000 restitution to her victims, and she ended up serving almost four years. Wow, that doesn't sound nearly enough, does it? No, it doesn't. Anna is a very savvy woman. She understands people... In a recent podcast interview, she said, I guess it's just easier to ask somebody for, I don't know, 20 million when they already think you have money. Well, she might be onto something there. Mm -hmm. It's often commented upon that she does not seem very remorseful. You would be right. She actually said to the New York Times, the thing is, I'm not sorry. I'd be lying to you and to everyone else and to myself if I said I was sorry for anything. I regret the way I went about certain things. Oh, man. Is she still in jail? No. She was released in February 2021 after serving, as I said, almost four years. Released on good behavior, I suppose. Yeah, I imagine clever people are pretty good at behaving well. As of this September, she was living in New York City under house arrest for overstaying her visa. But in the past few years, she's been involved in many activities, including some TV productions, creating her own art exhibits, collaborating on a single called What the Hell, and of course, she's even a podcast host. Wow, what company are we keeping, Harris? I don't know there, Walker. (laughs) She has created the Anna Delvey Show. Wow, sounds like she's moved on fairly successfully from her past. Yeah, and listen to this. She said, I definitely get more marriage proposals than I ever did before my criminal career started. Okay, major eye roll here. I know. (laughs) The power of the charming con artist. Mm -hmm. But in an interview with NBC News, she did admit, I just like hate seeing all the scammer and fake heiress headlines. So it's not something I enjoy, like trying to lean in to promote. She says, I'd love to be given an opportunity for people not to just dismiss me as a quote unquote scammer. Well, that's your bet, Anna, as they say. But I do suspect that Anna will get by, and possibly quite well from the sounds of it. And of course, she isn't the only woman who has made the headlines for her deception. 
Elizabeth Holmes. Yes. Mm. Elizabeth Holmes was touted as the youngest female self-made billionaire, the founder and CEO of Theranos, which was formed in 2003. Now, this is truly a tale of deception, isn't it? Right. Holmes was a Stanford dropout who became a biotechnology entrepreneur. She created the Edison, a machine that could, with a few drops of blood, screen for hundreds of diseases. It was technology that was expected to turn the industry on its ear because ultimately, it would be an effective and inexpensive form of testing. If it had only worked reliably. Well, exactly. She raised almost a billion dollars from some very big name investors, but most of what she said was based on false claims. She convinced a lot of people. She certainly did. The company at one point was worth $10 billion in value. But the machine just straight up did not work. And of course, this did not only impact investors, but also the patients relying on the blood test results, who were the most unfortunate victims. Neither had any idea that there were problems with the technology. Yeah, that's right. In 2015, concerns were made public in the Wall Street Journal, and the company eventually folded in 2018. Yes, Holmes and Ramesh Balwani, the former president of Theranos, were charged with defrauding investors and patients. The charge involved taking $700 million of investor funds in addition to providing incorrect revenue amounts. Her defense had tried to prove that she shouldn't receive time behind bars because her intentions were good. In November 2022, Holmes was sentenced to 135 months in prison and ordered to pay $452 million retribution to her victims. Just a few months ago, she was sentenced by a jury to 11 years in prison for fraud and conspiracy. Since she's entered prison, though, her term has been shortened to 9.5 years. I think we don't always realize how far-reaching deception can be. Scott Budman, business and tech reporter for MSNBC, stated that a lot of venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, especially the female ones in healthcare, have said that she burned so many bridges and left so much damage behind that even years after Theranos crashed and burned, they're having trouble raising money because of the specter of Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, the damaging ripple effect of fraud can be long-lasting. Like in the words of Sir Walter Scott... Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. So aptly put, Harris, and what a tangled mess that situation was. Mm -hmm. But it's a pretty common thing to deceive. In fact, behavioral expert Dan Airely has explained that it can be a pretty easy thing getting used to lying. He and his colleagues conducted a study in which they studied the brains of people who lied again and again. So what did they find out? Well, he said, we saw that over time, their brains reacted less and less and less to lies. They were less sensitized. We start believing our own lies. Yeah, well, lying can be a slippery slope. One lie can lead to the next and so on and so on until you can't tell what truth is anymore. Sounds like science supports what we've always been warned about. That's right. So how are people so taken in by deceptive people? Early explained that when our brains get a message, we don't separate very well the statement and where it came from, and we can often get very confused and not remember. It's why fake news works so well. Hmm. Then confirmation bias can kick in. People will focus on information and data that supports what they believe or want to be true, says Airly. Yeah, well, this is definitely happening more and more often in our society. Airly also says that people lie more when talking about positive things. Really? Mm-hmm. When they're lying about something good, they don't feel bad about lying. They still feel like a good person when they're lying. Hmm. Perhaps Elizabeth Holmes had little to reckon with when she was lying because she was lying about something that was supposedly so good for humankind. Maybe. So the more we lie, the easier it becomes. And I'm sure the better at it we become. 
So how can we spot these fraudsters, con artists, and swindlers before we get taken in by them? Dee had some pretty good tips, didn't she? She did. But we have some more tips, too, so that you're less likely to be hoodwinked. Well, let's get into it, Walker. We all know there are a lot of con artists out there trying to get you to invest the next sure thing, whether it is a real investment opportunity or not. This even goes back to the catalogs of old, selling us good old snake oil. But what was snake oil even meant to do, Eris? <laughs> well, I think it was supposed to be a pain reliever. Word to the wise walker, though, it didn't work. I did learn that con artists like to gain credibility by becoming a part of a community. They make connections. They bond. It makes them appear more trustworthy. Well, that makes sense. We often trust a friend of a friend, right? Yeah. And apparently those intent on deceiving us try to look successful too, whether it's the way they're dressed, their car, or their impressive office. Dress for success? Yeah. Or in this case, dress to give the impression of success. The next red flag is gaslighting. They will make you feel badly if you question them, like you've offended them. They want to shut down any questions and inquiries. So if you feel uncomfortable asking about whatever it is they're pushing, time to back away. Right. The fraudster needs to control the conversation to keep the con going. Mm-hmm. Maria Konnikova, remember the Harvard psychologist we just mentioned? She outlined the main personality traits that con artists share. She refers to these as the dark triad, psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. Ooh, dark triad sounds frightening. I know, and it actually is. It's not necessary to have all three traits to be a fraudster. And of course, someone can have all three traits and still not be a con artist too. But Machiavellianism is typically always present. This has come to mean a specific set of traits that allows one to manipulate others to accomplish one's own objectives. Makes sense, right? And narcissism, of course, is a component because it allows the con artist to be deceitful without feeling badly about it, and they can even have feelings of entitlement. Psychopathy, that's the most rare of the three. This is the lack of guilt or empathy that's associated with psychopaths. So knowing this, Konnikova put together some advice. Okay. So beware of the sure thing investment. If you're feeling pressure or afraid of missing out, be cautious. Feeling pressure to do anything based on fear or FOMO is a definite red flag, I would think. Absolutely. She also warns that these deceitful characters tend to be great storytellers. She says, they tell us the stories that we want to hear, not the stories that are true. She recommends looking for evidence to back up what they're telling you. This may be pretty difficult in the days of AI, social media, and fake news. I imagine you'd have to be vigilant in doing your research. Dig deeper and keep asking questions, as Dee said. Mm -hmm, right. Konnikova does stress that we must always be careful, too, when we're communicating online. She warns about sharing our information and our feelings ah. on the internet. She says, don't tell us how you're feeling, especially if you're down. Don't tell us when you're going through a divorce or a death. I know it's nice to have a lot of social media support, but that's a con artist's bread and butter. Don't feed the beast. That's all good advice, Harris. Well, you know I got your back, Walker, and that ain't no lie. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. Follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can also say hi to us on Instagram at, at Harrison Walker or find us online at www.homeandabroadpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you.